You're listening to the Poetry of Impact podcast, illuminating the unheard stories of today's top leaders in impact with your host, Gino Borges. Thanks for joining us again on the Poetry of Impact. In today's episode, we welcome Kareen Sarkissian, founding partner at Tamar Capital and co-founder of La Studio, actively supporting Tamar Capital portfolio companies and investors alike who design, impact measurement, and strategy development. In this conversation with Kareen, she opens up about finding herself through art and design, how the creative process helped her find her voice and understand her roots as an Armenian growing up in Lebanon. She then translates her passion for art to the role design thinking plays in impact investing. Kareen talks about the leap from her creative-based career founding a family office with her brothers. She talks about the dynamics of their relationship and how they've been successful by creating a safe place to openly communicate and express their needs and voice their opinions. All in all, I've come to find through this conversation that Kareen is an old soul who is intentional about finding happiness in the everyday. So drop in and enjoy the conversation with Kareen. Hi, Kareen. Great to have you here today. Thanks, Gino. I'm excited to, to chat and be a guest. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. Well, I've heard so many great things about you from uh, the Nexus community. And I think one of the coolest parts about you, amongst many other things, is this whole notion of design and impact. And there's so f- there's so few artists that um, are in our space relative to more of the technocratic, more of the financial, more of the organizational behavior folks. But in a lot of ways, what we're doing is redesigning the old legacy uh, ways of doing things, right? So I'd like for you to take us through a little bit of your journey on how you became kind of focused and occupied and in large part known for your design work in the impact space. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I think it kind of like takes me back a little bit on like a personal uh, personal front. just to give some background, I am Middle Eastern, so I, I grew up in Saudi Arabia and Lebanon, and my family is Armenian, and I really first, I think, stumbled on art as a way to really find my voice and, and use that, you know, use those different mechanics to, to share a little bit more about myself, to understand more of who I was. And that sort of, you know, that trajectory from doing installation work led me to design, really, and I worked in the urban, you know, in the urban planning space for a while and, and understanding how to, how we kind of move through the lived environment. And I really, really discovered the way, the world of design thinking or human centered design really as sort of a methodology and a way of thinking that I think has defined almost anything I've done since and defined even the way I think about things and, and you know, and, and work through my own problems in life. And so I, you know, I saw a natural connection, at least with young startups and, and, you know, and understanding more of the design space, because I think design and design thinking really frames sort of how we approach a problem. It's all about problem solving instead of, you know, coming, coming at different things from a solution standpoint, but rather focusing on the problem and understanding that you have to be sort of receptive I mean, extremely receptive to what people are saying. You have to be observant. You have to be uh, very aware and, and, and sort of flexible in your approach. 
So sort of the iterative kind of approach that design thinking brings forward is everything that kind of focused um, my interest specifically. And, and I think, you know, that finding my own voice has sort of translated into helping people find their voice and creating an impact in that sense. So I, I just find, you know, the connection between design and impact so clear and obvious in the sense like you are designing and building for people and the impact that you're yet you're hoping to do and aiming to do is for people and for the planet, you know, on a social environmental, you know, standpoint. And so they sort of came hand in hand and, and really as a methodology, it's, it's really defined the way we look at companies, the way we support them, everything we sort of embody is like a combination of design, design thinking and impact, and, and really is more of like a personal philosophy that has translated through my work. I want to back up to something that you shared at the beginning of that response, and that is this notion of you're using art to try to figure out who you are, and that manifests itself into design. So two things here. One, one is, is that what in particular about the medium of artistic creation helped you discover your, your inner identity or provides a discovery pathway for your inner identity? And then two is are you somewhat also asking that question at organizational behavior when you morph it into design and, and it's like, okay, who are, who are we um, is what design actually helps you achieve in terms of like an organizational inner identity. Just, just want to explore that out. It could be totally left field brainstorming spitballing, but let's start with that first one. One is how did, and how does it uh, influence your identity, you know, your inner identity discovery? And then two, potentially on the exterior world, how does it play out in a more of a small group context? Yeah, I mean, really interesting questions. I think, yeah, I mean, when I talked about finding my voice, it was just you know, understanding what canvas or space felt safe for me to really say what I needed to say. And I think growing up in Saudi Arabia, being you know, originally Armenian and and not having even explored Lebanon yet at that time, but understanding that you don't necessarily fit into a society, but also are very much a part of it because you're living there and and adding to that mix, you know, going to a French school amongst all things, you know, it just was like, how do you sort of consolidate that? And what is your medium of expression? And I felt like art really helped me kind of push those boundaries a lot of my work was really provocative, uh, not in like an intentional way, but really me sort of, you know, the context be- behind what I was creating was trying to understand a lot of the questions I had for myself. So understanding more about my identity in terms of like my origins, what were some of the histories of, of, of the Armenians? Uh, what did that mean? What, why was I living in Saudi Arabia? What were my observations from an outsider, you know, being there? And you know, I, I was really sort of able to use my art in in a way that was very, um, I, honestly, it was it was just satisfying my own curiosities and answering my own questions. And I I actually resorted in terms of medium, I, I mostly was creating, I mean, multimedia stuff, but that was very installation based because I realized the interactions we have with a piece can be really, really powerful. And, and I just felt like I needed the larger canvas instead of being on a two-dimensional plane, like really working in 3D and and letting that be sort of the source of how I was expressing myself. But I had, I mean, I I still do a lot of art. I still 
I draw pretty much every day. It's, I mean, like little things as opposed to initially being, you know, welding or doing metal or, you know, woodworking and things like that. But really, I mean, it's really a way to identify sort of the questions you have for yourself. It's almost self-reflective. It's your own journal that you're willing to share with the world. And I mean, obviously my sketchbooks are private as well. So there's sort of that duality that I absolutely loved. And I don't think, I think I would have, I've, I've, I've craved that space for such a long time and, and art really mended, led, led itself to that. And at the same time, so I brought design into it because I, when I mentioned that I was doing a lot of installation work, I just felt like I was so curious of how someone was moving through a piece. And so when I talk about the three dimensionality, you know, walking around it, looking at it from different angles and, and, or like even manipulating the, the space, you know, the physical space that it's, that it's in. I think I was so fascinated by that, that I was like, how can I sort of take that and maybe turn it into a career or <laughs> even think about it in a larger scale. And I think urban planning or urban design really was the perfect sort of platform for that. And then fast forward that, you know, and many years later moving to now being an investor I was so preoccupied of like how to bring that sense of design back into my everyday and like that sense of identity or like you know that methodology that I had really built out um so it sort of was a very natural connection and I felt like I couldn't lose that creativity because it had brought me so much personal understanding and it still continues to I'm going to get back to that second part of that question because I'm really interested in how you actually take this and it actually influences your design. And if you can give a specific example and then potentially how the designs that you're helping with entrepreneurs and startups and businesses in general helps them with their inner identity and to find their, you know, their values and their, basically their North star to a large extent. Yeah. I mean, it's a great question. <laughs> Let me think about that for a second. I think it's it's interesting to think about design in the larger sense of being open to iteration, being open to being receptive to what people are saying, being flexible, being, you know, essentially what you're creating can't doesn't live in a silo or isn't in absolutes. It in fact it influences you know, larger beneficiaries or, you know, the larger community in a sense. And I think in terms of organizational behavior, understanding even paradigm shifts or like, you know, how the impact that you're creating in, in you know, not even forget the quantitative side, but infects people, people's lifestyles, the qualitative, you know, aspect that you're sort of measuring. And, and it's funny that you asked a little bit about like the organizational identity or inner identity around values in the North Star. I mean, that's something that specifically we offer as workshops because, most of the time, you know, we find that the startups we're working with are just kind of going and going and like building and sometimes just like stopping and understanding their own identity, working through their own values, um, you know, even like such like um, their mission and vision and what that looks like, you know, where they're sort of going as sort of reception of what how people are responding to what they're creating is extremely important. And and I think in terms of the design philosophy, this is where it comes down to, like it comes back where it's like, okay, this is what you think you're doing. Let's see how it kind of reflects back into the world or into who you're even working with, what those constituents are, are like. And so it's been an incredible tool in that sense. I think 
definitely it's funny like out of all the workshops that we you know we we have most of the ones that people are interested in are about the values and the north star as it fits like coming up with your own identity or understanding how to talk about yourself or how you not even talk about yourself but how you put yourself out there in the world and how you project yourself out in the world and I think that's directly connected to my personal experience with using that medium as how I was like you know showing up in the world and and understanding who I was and I think yeah I mean understanding those different aspects and that that it feels like such a natural connection to me because it's just how I approach different things and it's been so incredibly inspiring and enriching to share it with others and have them sort of have the same response or understand it once they've you know gone out in the in the world and done some like just some interviews and talking to people and then using that and reflecting back on that I want to drop in this idea of connection for you you talked about how people represent themselves in the world and here you are just you've briefly shared already that your um, Armenian heritage, you grew up in Saudi Arabia and in Lebanon, and here you ended up in the States. One, maybe may explain a little bit um, for people who aren't familiar with, you know, the Armenian people about like a little bit about what that culture is like in general. And then two, what's it feel like to some extent? um, I mean, those are, definitely, um, at least from an appearance perspective, seemingly disparate worlds. I mean, the Middle East, and I believe you're now now in the Bay Area. Has there been a large part of your life that has felt a little bit liminal and uh, always kind of in between spaces and your notion of home? Like, what is your notion of home as a result of your heritage and the moving around I'm just always interested in that and because I think the notion of home is really important for somebody's um, center of gravity to a large extent. Incredible question. I mean, it's it's funny because I, I think I, I battled with that question for so long when I lived in Saudi Arabia, even before moving to Lebanon, uh, trying to understand the question of like, where are you from was one of the hardest questions. I, I you know, I, I think to this to some extent, sometimes today, I still don't know how to answer it perfectly because it is I mean when you talk about okay so you asked me to give some background a little bit about sort of what it means to be Armenian I mean as an Armenian uh my family left Armenia a very long time ago um because of a genocide and so I'm very much part of a culture of diaspora and understanding that where we've sort of had to adapt to and where we've landed which were for my families were Syria and Lebanon have really sort of shaped the Armenians that we are today. And I think there's, you know, almost that like discrepancy with like Armenians from Armenia versus Armenians from the diaspora, but understanding that everyone sort of supports this idea of like, you know, we're from the same place and and we're all fighting for this, for this wonderful place. And honestly, a lot of this was ignited. I went, so I, um, in 2007, I went to Armenia for the first time and I, I don't know what happened to me on that trip, but there was something, some form of connection that was that felt so deep. I didn't feel like I fully related to the people there, but I, I felt like I connected to the land or what it represented and the stories I had heard from my grandparents and my family. And, and it really defined a lot of the art that I initially did. I mean, I was just so curious in learning and that was a perfect medium. But then 
I mean, then like you say, like moving to, to Lebanon and then being faced by war and instability. And now <laughs> with what's happening in Lebanon and, and, you know, sort of understanding how that environment has changed so much in the last year. And then now with the war happening in Armenia currently as well, I mean, it's just, I think I was having a conversation with a friend just the other day, but like about how, where I'm from, the different places I'm from aren't necessarily very, don't have the sense of stability or, you know, and so it's, I mean, I, I, you, yeah, I feel like I have made the Bay area, my home, you know, it feels like a place that feels safe and steady and stable. It feels like I'm far from my family, but it's offered at least that sense of peace. And, and I think a lot of acceptance about being here of, you know, people accepting that you come from different places and, and, you know, you just being part of a sort of a weave of different cultures out here. And, and, um, you know, so to answer your question about home, I mean, I, I guess, I mean, my family is my home. Uh, my friends are my home. And also, I mean, just right now where I live in terms of the physicality of it. I mean, I know during COVID, a lot of people, you know, were just picking up and leaving. And with everything that was happening in Lebanon, with everything that was happening in Armenia at the time, I just felt like I can travel I want, but I need to have sort of this physicality because it brings, it has like a sense of grounding for me. I'm not directly answering the question because I think it has multiple answers for me, but understanding that I'm sort of, uh, I think I celebrate all of these different cultures. They're definitely a part of me. My culture is very much Armenian, the food, and, and I speak Armenian with my parents. And at the same time, you know, I, I do, when someone asks me where I'm from, I say I'm Lebanese. So it's just like understanding that it, you know, it's always going to be a sort of a weave and a combination of different things. But at the same time, home I think is is where I feel sort of most grounded and that's like I said like family and friends and 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 sort of a place that accepts me for who I am I know you have a few siblings but um and I don't know much about your parents but have your have your parents and your siblings had a similar journey as well in terms of their discovery about what home looks like um for them um, I think we all have sort of our own experience, to be honest. Um, my brothers were just, I mean, just literally left Lebanon. So they, they, uh, they moved about a year ago. They're now in London. The explosion that happened was sort of the impetus to them moving. And, you know, one of my brother's homes being completely destroyed, the office getting completely gutted as well. And, and them, you know, really surviving by just a couple seconds or like just being very lucky besides like cuts on their bodies. I mean, they literally were very lucky. And I think, so I think, you know, that sense of identity or like, you know, I think they connected a lot more to Lebanon. I'd only lived there for almost five years and they went back after college and stayed and worked there. So, and their wives are Lebanese, you know, they've built sort of a, a much deeper uh, community around that. And I think for them, it was just the sense of home was sort of like ripped away from them. And so I, to be honest, I'm not exactly sure. I think they still consider Lebanon very much home, but, but I, but you know, they're, they're, we're, you know, we've had to be very adaptable being, you know, being even from a culture that has had to move so much. I think adaptability is sort of has to be part of our DNA and, you know, Lebanese people have this sort of like, um, have been coined for just like going, keep going, keep like to just go on and continue to go on. And, um, I think that's what they're doing, but I think they're creating a new home for themselves in London. And for my parents, I mean, they're still in Beirut. And for them, I think they're, you know, being 
I think each, even my mom and my dad would probably answer this question very differently, but I, I would say they very much identify with being Armenian and Lebanese and understanding those two pieces are very much a part of who they are. And I think we might all at least overlap in understanding that home is where our family is, you know, and, and when we're together, that feels like home. Now you guys are all starting to work together or have been working together one, how did that manifest? And then two, how is it un- actually unfolding for you guys? And maybe take us through a little bit of the process you guys went through to manifest it and what it looks like today. Honestly, I mean, it's, I feel very fortunate to have had this opportunity. So in, to give some background, in 2016, my brothers and I were having conversations um, and, you know, with our parents as well, but initially, you know, understanding how do we sort of take this family legacy or, you know, what our parents had built with the companies that that they have, you know, the businesses that they have, and, and sort of how do we both diversify sort of out of the region, out of the Middle East, and diversify out of specific sectors. So a lot of the family businesses are in construction and hybrid energy, a lot of wind and solar, as well as food distribution. And, you know, we were curious and, and we... We knew that the end goal of working together was one of the most appealing pieces. And, you know, we, we were, you know, we kind of put our heads together. They're both engineers. I'm a designer. And so we were like, how, how, what's, you know, what does that module look like? How can we work together? And so the conversation of a family office came about and, and it just, it seemed like it made sense where it would give us enough flexibility to sort of carry on the values that we had you know, amongst the three of us and amongst, I mean, the whole family into the work that we were doing and what we were deciding to support. And so it was sort of the perfect platform. And at the time, I, I, I was particularly part-time. I was still working in the urban planning space. I didn't feel ready to fully transfer to being an investor. But, you know, it was sort of the perfect catalyst in the sense of, you know, okay, we get to work together. We get to explore our interests we get to support values that we love, which are innovation, creativity, and I would say definitely impact. I mean, we were doing a lot of, each of us were doing different things in the social impact world. And we were like, maybe we can, you know, specifically be very intentional about that. And so it made a lot of sense. And honestly, we're extremely fortunate because we've been working together since 2016. I then joined full time and and, you know, they were initially in Beirut, so they were running the office from over there, you know, focusing a lot more on different asset classes of the family office. And I, I knew I sort of wanted to be focused on the VC side. And then it was important to have a U.S. presence. And I was out here and I didn't really want to go back anytime soon. <laughs> so I volunteered to move out of San Francisco from New York and set up, you know, the, the U.S. office and really sort of pushed the impact side as much as I could did a lot of learning on my end, did a lot of reading, joined Nexus amongst other things and, and, you know, put, bake that into the work that we did. And it, and I mean, it's, we're so lucky because the family office has opened a lot of other avenues for us. Uh, one of my brothers runs a startup in micromobility. I, spe- I specifically sort of run and, and push the studio, which is sort of the impact and design aspect. And my other brother runs like uh, a private equity fund as well. So it's opened a lot of opportunities. And the idea is like, we will always sort of be tied by this important anchor and have the flexibility to do what we want and push, you know, our values and and what we care about and and really being sort of like founder first as we like, or like hands-on to some extent, which is really cool. 
What's that relationship look like? When you mentioned that you went into be, becoming an investor full-time, and yet we started the conversation about your um, desire for design. So maybe walk us through a little bit of this notion of your investing and then kind of how the design is related to the investing and the investing is related to the design. So initially, I think it was, so I jumped into investing and was doing my design, my connection to design at the time was mostly with freelance projects. I was taking them left and right because I felt like I needed to do something that was still creative. So I was doing a lot of graphic design. I was doing a lot of illustration work. Uh, and they were honestly mostly passion projects. I wasn't particularly being paid for them, but I didn't really care. And I was convinced that there was a way that I could bring design back into my role. And so for, you know, initially I was like, okay, this is a brand new space for, for me. I'm going to take an opportunity just to learn and network. And that's what I did for a good amount of time. I just spent time networking, going to events, basically not saying no to anything. I had also just moved to San Francisco and you know, I needed to sort of immerse myself in the community out here. And I mean, I'm very fortunate because I think it's a very open community and people are really willing to share. And, and if you just ask questions, they're willing to answer. So there was that initially. And then I was like, how do I do this? How do I do this? And for a really long time, I wasn't really sure how to bring in creativity. I even considered, uh, or I think I did, I worked with a, with a like career coach at some point. So I was like, what can I do? Can we come up with something? And I got, I was very fortunate to meet um, my colleague out here, Sophie um, Juhe. She had, she had done a lot of investing in specifically in impact and had done a lot of impact strategy for companies. And I wanted to bring her on as part of a team. And the idea was like, if I bring her on, we get to build something together. And so we put our heads together and I knew I wanted to bring design into the role. And initially when I mentioned we were, ha- we were hands-on investors you know, I was getting sort of pulled by our different companies to support on the pitch deck here or support on the brand development there. And it was sort of really haphazard and it was taking all of my time, which wasn't really viable to sort of balance that between doing that and being an investor. So, you know, with Sophie, we put our heads together and we said, what if we combine design and impact? There's sort of an opportunity here. And then we bring in sort of the financial advisory that's part of the direct investment world. And we get to create this amazing platform and, and this way of helping people. So that was initially the first umbrella. And then we we're like, how do we do that? So when I worked in the urban planning space, I was doing a lot of workshops uh, for public servants, teaching a lot of design thinking methodologies. And so I was sharing that with Sophie and we just realized like this might be the perfect platform for it. So everything we built, basically, long story short, we ended up building the studio that's a venture studio sort of as a service that we offer to our companies and other companies as well. And we get to, it's amazing because we get to do workshops. So we get to spend two to three hours with companies. We give them the tool. We sort of teach the theory around design and bring in impact very early on into what we teach as well. And then we give them sort of these, this toolkit. So it's a combination of theory and practice. And then we get to like run these workshops. We get to teach what we love. And then we get to like have these like longer relationships with people because, you know, we always have this sort of like open door policy. So we, we get to be sort of hands on, but not imposing. We are very like efficient in the way we work with people because we don't want to take over their time, but we want to give them resources. So honestly, I mean, the relationship of like design and investing sort of came gradually. And then 
you know, the studio has morphed over time and changed and grown. And it's just been amazing to just be very receptive. And I mean, even in the way we approached the solution or the solution that we thought that we think is, is viable and that we've been getting, I would say some good reception to, we really approach in a design thinking methodology. I mean, we did this, we, you know, we took the steps that we really preach and, and that made it so much more, it made it so cool. I mean, it was just so fun to like bring that into how we did it. And, and, um, you know, I, I don't think I can see myself going back to just being an investor or just being a designer, but I think the combination of the two is just, is it becomes so natural and impact on top of that becomes sort of the driver for everything, or like, as we call it, our Trojan horse. So that's obviously a lot, uh, you know, to do both investing <laughs> and, and the design. So it's one thing to invest, like just investing alone can be, um, a full-time endeavor in terms of diligence and and learning spaces and all that fun stuff. And how do you, how do you balance all this uh, at a, at just a pure, let's just pretend that your work's your work, but then also there's this, you know, Kareen, the, the person, and how do you, how do you balance this? I mean, how do you stay well? Have you bumped into issues along the way that um, you're faced with your own limitations? And then if so, how did you confront that or how did you respond to, I mean, those limitations? I w- okay, I, I just want to add one thing about the balance. I think working with your family, while it's obviously very emotional, because there's a lot of, you know, it, you have this sort of stronger connection, but there's a level of trust that's incredible. And I think that's really key to finding a balance as well, because I would say, with my brothers, we each sort of know our limits and we know what we need each other for. And that's that's sort of the philosophy that we have on, around the whole team. And I think that's a big part to that balance, like understanding that, you know, you can say no or you can push back or uh, you have that safe space and that we really like spent a lot of time creating. So I think that's one part on the like balance of like the everyday. But honestly, for me, I mean... I am extremely active and I think that's really, really important for me. It's about finding that balance in life and spending time doing really things that I love. So, I mean, it's amazing that what I do every day at work, I love, but also being outside, uh, climbing and, and, and hiking. And I surf quite a bit. And I think the, the ocean has always been a really important space for me and just making sure I'm always finding that sense of like, you know, that, that comfort in the ocean and, and just sort of letting it be. And while I'm there and while I'm surfing and also I'm just doing art really for me has been like a huge, huge, huge tool. I got to do a couple of murals when I was out, you know, during the pandemic and, you know, and, and just like spending a couple minutes doing things that you love. I, I, you know, I volunteered as an art therapist for a long time running, running art workshops and I still do that for myself. It's still, there's still strategies that I use. You know, I, I, I give myself a prompt and I just stay creative for like an hour. And and you asked, you know, if, if I did hit some hurdles. Yeah, I would say definitely. I think I have experienced burnt out, burnout. I, uh, I mentioned this to you, uh, Gino, last time we spoke, but I had also some like health stuff uh, come up. And that was sort of like, how do you find that balance between mental and physical health and, and navigating social settings and things like that? So I think a combination of all those things, but staying active, doing a lot of yoga, art, surfing. I mean, it, I really invest a lot of my time in, in doing that. And, and it's really served me well in finding that balance and, and 
finding happiness in my everyday. Can you walk us through that notion of um, a prompt in terms of like artistic creation? You know, I mean, there's, I know like people do morning pages, for instance, where they just write freely for you know, 10 straight minutes without judging um, what they're writing. It could be the same sentence over and over and over and you just got to keep the pen moving kind of thing. Can you walk us a little through what you do and examples of uh, like uh, of an exercise? Yeah, sure. So this was my dream before doing any of this. I, I really wanted to be an art therapist and I <laughs> volunteered quite a bit in that space. And then during the pandemic, I was like, you know what? Everyone's stuck indoors and everyone needs an escape and some sort of release. So I'm going to try something new and I'm going to share it with people. And so this is how this whole exercise sort of came about and the prompt idea came about. So what I did is every Saturday, um, I would open a Zoom room and I would host whoever was willing to join. And I think I did that for like maybe 10 weekends. But uh, what I what I would do is, okay, so I would do a warm-up exercise. I would just get people to like loosen up with a, you know, draw your favorite plant or draw your favorite animal, draw a place that makes you feel safe. And then once everyone was sort of warmed up, I would do 30 minutes of uninterrupted drawing. With, and I would just play music in the background. And so an example of that prompt, since you asked, uh, Gina, was, okay, what it, does an ideal world look like to you? Or, you know, how do you create human connection after feeling like we've sort of been all isolated? You know, and, and understanding, or how do you manifest the power of change? And what does that mean to you? Different prompts like that, that were sort of abstract enough, but open enough that would like sort of push you and so we would have 30 minutes of uninterrupted drawing. And then I would give everybody 10 minutes of reflection time. So they had to write about it. And then I would put everyone in breakout rooms and we would share with each other. And so that's something I had done on my own for a long time. But doing it in a community, I mean, it, you know, you, you get to build community in the virtual world somehow. You get to share something that's very vulnerable and honest. And you get to be completely put out of your comfort zone by drawing. I mean, even I being put on the spot with a prompt sometimes is like sort of nerve wracking, but I've come, you know, I, what I end up drawing is so random, but it, it connects to exactly what I'm going through at that moment. And I would always do the activities with everyone that I was hosting it with. And, and I think I've sort of carried that out as not only a, you know, I carry a sketchbook everywhere, but not only just journaling and drawing, but sometimes giving myself like limitations with prompts. What's your preferred um, writing medium? Uh, charcoal, paint, watercolor, pencil, pen, or something else? I do a lot of ink and watercolor just because I can carry those around with me anywhere. In college, it was a lot of uh, metal and woodworking, but I love the portable aspect of, of ink. And I have a tiny little watercolor set that's and I take pretty much everywhere when I travel. You and my mind is trying to do what I have always wanted to do. And that is, is that I want to festivalize life. Like the best times <laughs> on earth are at festivals. Like everybody is just like, it's a loving, moving, creative, foodie, hanging out. I mean, it's the best of the best at festivals. So now if we can change that into a verb to festivalize, and some, to some extent, when I'm hearing you talk, it's like in large part, uh, Kareen is trying to festivalize life. And uh, how much of people embrace that? How much of people sort of kicked it back? 
and not taking you as serious as you, you know, you'd hope to be taken serious. If at all. I mean, it's, it's funny because I guess maybe from the outside, that's what it looks like. But I think for me, it's very personal. I don't feel like I have to do all of those things. It's more like when I feel it, you know, and, and, but I've met a lot of people, incredible people that have similar interests. Like I have climber friends, I have surfer friends and, you know, I have other artist friends and then just like, you know, anyone else is just like willing to hang out. And I think it's understanding or like learning to sort of listen to myself, I think, and what I've sort of needed and not felt like I've just needed to do it because it was like cool or it felt like I was like celebrating things. But it mostly, I think in terms of relationships with others, I mean, the way they've seen it, it's, it's more like, I think understanding that maybe there's an openness to things. And like I mentioned, I mean, I went through my own health stuff and I don't think I was at my peak at all, but I, that was sort of the only way I knew how to sort of deal with it was being outside or, you know, spending a bit of time. And I think my, my close friends that saw that and saw how much I was hurting and, and what I was going through, you know, with autoimmune stuff and, and, you know, finding the right health sort of support, you know, m- m- people, people that, I was very close to very much embraced my interests and sort of understanding that those were almost escapes or like forms of relief. And then, you know, I think it was important for me to understand that there doesn't need to be an intensity around any of this. I think I met some people that were very intense, like, no, you do this, you have to be the best of this. And you have to, you know, there's like sort of an approach to that. And, and for me, I mean, I think maybe that was another lesson where I was like, no, I have nothing to prove. I'm just doing it for myself because it, it literally makes me feel like I, you know, if I need it or if I want it, it's there. But at the same time, if I don't want to do it or if I'm too tired, understanding, listening to myself and my body. And I think that was an exercise in it itself. And maybe maybe to answer your question, like how it was seen by others, um, almost like, or at least people I really cared about was most important to me. And I think gave me that point of reflection and understanding what those things meant to me. Very nice. Karina, you have a very special approach to, um, you know, life and work and spirit. And this whole notion of creativity is really a, um, well, I mean, it's something that the space uh, needs more of and it may not know it, but it also needs to, and that it longs for it. And so I want to thank you so much for uh, sharing your story. But before we go, um, where could people learn a little bit more about your um, your work in the world? Well, thank you, Gino. Uh, so a couple of things. I guess if you want to learn about the family office, it's Tamar, T-A-M-A-R dot capital uh, online. Or uh, if you want to hear more about the studio and learn more about the studio, um, it's the studio, L-E-S-T-U-D-I-O dot I-O. Um, and we are on Instagram and on LinkedIn and um, have sort of all sorts of resources and um, share all sorts of things. And yeah, so definitely follow us. It'd be great <laughs> great to hear from you. For sure. Thank you so much. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening in to today's conversation on the Poetry of Impact. The podcast exists for and because of listeners like you. Be sure to subscribe to the Poetry of Impact podcast on your favorite podcast player. And if you have time, leave us a review.
Thanks again and goodbye for now. Till next time. Thank you for listening to the Poetry of Impact podcast. For show notes and additional resources, visit poetryofimpact.com.